Hello, I'm Hannah. Hi, I'm Susie. And today we are picking up the conversation that we've been having about resilient disciples as we look at the need for intergenerational relationships. And we're here on Zoom, we're having a cup of tea or a drink of water, and um, obviously we wish we could be sitting together, but we can't right now. Yeah, really do, missing uh, those times together so much. In case you have missed the first two weeks in the series, we've been using some of the themes in this book, Faith for Exiles, to help us figure out how we can not only be disciples of Jesus, but really build our spiritual resilience too, so that our faith is deep and long-lasting. And David Kinnaman, who wrote the book, he's done years and years of research into faith and culture. And his research shows that more and more young adults are leaving the church, which is obviously really, really sad. And only 10% of Christians in their 20s are known as resilient disciples. And that's where this term comes from. So as Susie said, the challenge for us as we explore these topics each week is to be asking ourselves, how can we ensure that we are resilient disciples with a deep enough grounding in Jesus to withstand all that life might throw at us beyond our 20s? Yeah, in the book, um, they suggest that the majority of resilience feel that the church is a place that I belong, that I am connected to a community of Christians and churches feel like families. So those three things really stood out to us, didn't they, Han? Um, and yeah. the fact that it's not just attending church, coming to meetings and services, but it's really about belonging to something, belonging to community. That's right. Yeah. So Susie, you grew up as a Christian. So what was your experience in terms of relationships, like intergenerational relationships with people older and younger than you? Yeah, I felt so connected to my church family growing up. But other adults in the church were literally known as aunties and uncles. And they really did feel like that. They were interested in me. They were really present in our family life. Uh, they asked me questions. They came along to things and, and were very present. Uh, I also had older brothers and sisters and their friends sort of became like extra siblings or extra cousins too. Um, also really privileged to have been in a youth group where I was able to lead my peers. So I had youth leaders who... Um, prayed for me, supported me and trained me, but also was able to lead uh, friends around me and younger youth too. So it was a really privileged experience growing up. Yeah, that's amazing. My experience was totally different because I didn't grow up as a Christian or within a Christian family or anything. So I think all of my friends were my age. I don't, I don't think I had any friends older than me or younger than me. Um, I've got a younger sister and an older brother, but it was very, very clear that I was not allowed to be friends with their friends, particularly my older brother was not allowed to go near his friends. Um, <laughs> so I don't think until I kind of went to university and actually um, started going to church, I had that, that same sort of experience. Yeah, I bet that was quite a culture shock when you joined sort of the church family. Yeah, it was. It definitely got uh, took a bit of getting used to yeah. there. 
So we, according to this book, we're living in this um, digital Babylon. That's how it's described. It's a phrase that was coined by Kinnaman to describe this weird era we live in now where we're more connected than ever, but we're also more alienated than ever. And we well, there's kind of like a crisis of authority going on. So Susie, big question. How old were you when you got your first mobile phone? Yeah, well, I was 18. I'm probably at the upper end of 18, sort of well into my first year of university. Wow, <laughs> that's you? amazing. Yeah, I was 17. Um, I think so. Yeah, I remember getting it, I think, like during my A-levels. It was quite a big moment, but obviously it wasn't a phone like oh, that yeah. you have today. <laughs> <laughs> Just do text, that's it, and a phone call. Yeah. So during our teenage years, if we wanted to see our friends, then we would either have to arrange it in advance, right? We'd have to be like, I'll see you in the park at four o'clock and you'd have to be there. Or do you remember like going to people's houses and knocking on the door and saying, are you coming out to play? Yeah, yeah. Or we would phone them. Yeah. And let's remember that phone, it was like sat on the step because it was actually wired in or trailing the wire under the door so that you might have a bit of privacy. And um, I was actually, um, my dad was a GP. So if he was on duty... Um, we just weren't allowed to use the, the phone at all in case a patient rang and needed him. So, yeah, very different times. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes with your friend's phone, you'd be like, I can't talk. My dad yeah. has the phone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And that's it then. You just, that, you yeah, can't speak to your friends. That is crazy. Because my boys are eight and ten um, and they don't have phones, but they do have iPads um, where they can text other iPhones or iPads. They play games online. They send videos to people that are already way more like connected than we were. Yeah, my eldest son connecting with his friends on WhatsApp or Messenger or Xbox or even Strava. Um, and yeah, there's so many different ways uh, that we can be connected from a really young age. But the reality is, despite this high level of connection, adults are twice as likely to say that they are lonely compared to just 10 years ago. What an incredible stat. We should be more connected than ever, but the reality is we're actually lonelier than ever. Yeah, and 41% um, uh, 41% of Christians say, I believe my spiritual life is entirely private. And 37% say they want to be discipled on their own. Um, Which, like, how do you be discipled on your own? Isn't that an oxymoron? Yeah, really tricky. And, And concerning and sounds much harder work and a lot less fun I mean a huge part of um, faith is is coming together celebrating together like baptism where we're celebrating what's going on inside together as family and yeah they really miss that Mm. Okay, so I've got a bunch of statements here that researchers asked Christians when they were doing this research, and they found that resilient disciples were much more likely to say yes to these statements. So I wondered, Susie, if I could read these statements out to you, and you could just count how many you say yes to, and um, you can join in at home too. Don't worry, we're not going to ask you to put your results in the chat or anything like that. Um, There's no judgment but it's just a like a little helpful indicator so um here we go 
So the church is a place where I feel I belong. There is someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. I am connected to a community of Christians. When growing up, I had close personal friends who were adults from my church, my parish or my faith community. I admire the faith of my parents. I feel emotionally close to someone at my church. Susie, how many do you feel you could say yes to? It's actually a real privilege to be able to say yes to all of them. And um, I'm grateful to my parents, my family and my church family growing up for that, really. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. I got four out of seven, um, mostly because of the that not having parents with faith, you know, that does make a really big difference. But I would say that when I became a Christian age 19, mm. I very quickly had spiritual parents, people that were older than me that were like looking out for me. So maybe I get like four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But these things are so important, aren't they? And to feel that sense of belonging and connection is crucial to our well-being and our faith journey. Yeah, and it gives us that grounding, that resilience yeah. to carry us through, yeah. through tougher times. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the Bible. Now, obviously, the Bible is full of relationships and instructions about relationships. There's so many brilliant examples, um, like Elijah and Elisha. You've got Moses and Aaron. You've got Paul and Timothy. There's so, and there's loads of other ones that we could look at. So I've just picked out a couple of scriptures today. Um, and I wondered, Susie, if you could unpack them for us. So the first one is in 1 Corinthians uh, one and it's verse 10 and it says I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Uh, I love this verse for so many reasons. Um, I love the opening brothers and sisters. It reminds us that we're family together. Amazing. Um, I love that call for harmony and no division, uh, to be united in mind and purpose. It's all so good. But I do think that it can be taken out of context sometimes and give mm -hmm. a false idea that we all have to think exactly the same things. When Paul calls for unity here, he is asking and urging people not to be divisive. And that's really different to having different opinions. We may not all completely agree with one another on everything, but we can still work together harmoniously if we agree on what really matters. And that's Jesus. So this is so crucial for intergenerational relationships and there needs to be space for people, especially young people and those who are new followers of Jesus to doubt and to question and to not feel like the church is steamrolling over the questions or those legitimate doubts. Um, and I remember when I was choosing my A-levels, um, I went to speak to my A-level teacher because I was a little bit undecided whether to take RE. And uh, she was an older Christian lady. And um, I said, you know, I was thinking, just not sure if it's going to be good for my faith 
to really question and get into some of the things that we were going to be doing. And what she said really has stuck with me and, and been so important on my faith journey since. She said, truth will hold. You don't need to be afraid of questioning it and studying it. And her reply gave me permission to ask deep questions and to really wrestle with some tricky themes um, when I was a young believer. And she was right. The truth remained, the truth of who Jesus is, what he had done for me, and the hope that he gave me remained through it all. But with that support from older Christians who weren't scared of my questions, but were able uh, to sort of walk with me on that journey, I was really able to deepen my faith and my relationship with Jesus. That is such an amazing example of an intergenerational relationship where she just gave you that space to doubt and ask Mm. questions and to explore for yourself. Like, imagine if she had said, well, your faith should be stronger than that. Like, imagine the the entirely different impact that would have had on you. Okay, let's have a look at something in Thessalonians now. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14. And it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Wow. (laughs) Tell us about this. (laughs) Well, I love this one again, because once again, we're reminded that we're family, brothers and sisters, we're together as family. But I feel like this really beautifully talks about the role of accountability and mentoring in the church family. It's just one example of it, but Paul is urging us to warn those who are lazy to get cracking, get on with it. Um, But to encourage the timid to take care of the weak, be, be tender, Um, And it's just really important that we are um, speaking into one another's lives. Uh, And the reality is, though, it's quite difficult to tell the difference between idleness and timidity. Uh, And people can look the same on the outside, but have different things going on inside. Um, And this is where relationship is so key. So that mentoring relationship where we know what's going on, we're able to ask those deeper questions to see what's going on behind the behaviour so that we can then speak really honestly into one another's lives. Um, And this example shows that some maybe need to be challenged, others gently encouraged, uh, but we won't necessarily know from first glance, which is why relationship is so important. And then, I mean, I love the ending, be patient with everyone. It's just great advice, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. So it's not about having intergenerational relationships just for the sake of having it like, oh, you should just be friends with people older than you. Mm. But it's about having a family, about encouraging, challenging and supporting each other. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And the ultimate uh, sort of example of this in the Bible it, and ever is Jesus. <laughs> he gathered 12 men and three of those were even closer friends that he, he really gave his time to. He shared life with them, everyday life. He spent time with them in all different contexts and knew them well. He saw things in them that he was able to call out and to teach and to, and, and to just journey with and he did that so well 
Yeah. And it always strikes me how amazing it is that Jesus didn't need those um, mm. those 12 disciples like for his mission on earth. Yeah. He, he could have done that on his own, but he chose to journey that really closely with people. And that's, yeah, that always just hits me really hard that we choose to, to walk this journey with people. Um, okay, so Jesus modeled this really, really well. But how do we do this? Like, should we also have 12 people that we, I don't know, spend all our time with? I mean, you live in a family of six, so you're like already halfway there. (laughs) But how do we develop um, intergenerational stories? And what's your story with this? Well, it is difficult. The walls are higher. The barriers are thicker, aren't they, between us and really getting those meaningful relationships. We can be more inclined, can't we, to Google our questions rather than to risk that vulnerability of speaking to a friend or a parent or a church leader. Um, And it can be easier to reach for our phones rather than to reach out for other people, especially right now in this time we're living through. Um, So it is more difficult to find those truthful answers to some of our heart's deepest longings because the digital world is just constantly like shifting sand and the goalposts are always moving. So we need these authentic friendships where we discover people who care deeply about us and that we can journey with. Yeah, I love that. The digital world is constantly like shifting sand. You know, it's not something that we can stand firm on. Um, And you've done this so well, this like authentic friendships. You've done this really well. Could you tell us about Table? Um, So Table was a follow-on group, um, which just kind of came after Alpha. And you had people round your table for dinner um, to learn more about faith in like a really tangible way. Yeah, when we invited people into our home for table, we were really intentional about being vulnerable together, sharing our own stories, um, and really trying to create space to build family together where everybody contributed. They contributed to the meal, to the clearing up, the, the, uh, the, the washing up, um, <laughs> but also to the conversation and the stories. And things gradually shifted from being intentional, like building those friendships, too authentic, where people felt loved and able to share their questions, their doubts and their stories. Yeah. And when you talk about being vulnerable there, I think um, what what you do really well is just be real. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that as soon as you meet someone, you pour out your whole heart to them. <laughs> but um, you you guys really model just like this is what our real family is like. And I've, I've seen that in your Friday night um, Sabbath dinners that, that I've been to with my family. So could you just tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, so our Friday night dinners is where we begin our Sabbath, our time of rest. Uh, it can be a little chaotic as, <laughs> as people have experienced. Yeah, this is where we invite people into our home to get to know them, to deepen friendships. Uh, so we're starting by intentionally building it, but then it, we deepen that friendship. And it is important to be real with people. And like you say, that vulnerability comes by just being ourselves by welcoming them into the chaos um, and not having that sort of Instagrammed version of a of a lovely prayer time with a, a nice photo of our meal, um, but actually inviting people and that vulnerability hopefully contributes to cultivating a space where we can encounter Jesus together 
um, and gradually shift from the intentional friendship building to that authentic friendships where we can be real and honest with one another. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. And I can vouch for the chaos that ensues on, especially when we arrive with our crazy kids as well. So, but it is amazing. It's also like, it's holy ground, but it's chaos. And that's, yeah. that's great. Okay. So what, what can we do then? So what, how do we, what are the stepping stones to developing authentic intergenerational relationships? Can you, can we sort of put in some steps that we could be taking? Well, yeah, we have got an ABC to the stepping stones of authentic intergenerational relationships for you today. We've got that ABC ready for you. Our first step is going to be to be active and intentional about spending time together. And you might not have a Friday night dinner or table, or it just might look completely different. But the key is to be actively planning time together with people um, and thinking about who those people will be going a bit outside of our comfort zone. So you might be a student and want to get involved with family life. Well, ask if you can join in with tea time or come and watch a football match or, or you might be an adult wanting to get to know students. Well, ask what they're up to and go and join them with what they're doing at the weekend, even if it's going to the shops or giving them a lift to the supermarket. Um, into general intergenerational relationships they don't just happen or it's quite unlikely to just spring up we do need to be actively intentionally seeking them out yeah the thing that strikes me though or like there could be a challenge with that is it's really easy to hang out with someone but for there to be no depth in that like Mm. you could go to the cinema with someone or you could go watch a football match with someone or whatever but it's just hanging out and you don't actually um it's not actually valuable for, for the relationship. Yeah. What would you say about that? Absolutely. It's so important to plan that time together, but then it is important to be intentional about how you spend that time together. So we're going to jump to C. <laughs> we need to create space for emotions. It is great to do those things together, but we need to be creating that space, that space to be honest and real with one another. And obviously this wouldn't necessarily happen straight away. We do need to be able to just have fun together and spend time. Um, but at some point we need to be creating opportunity and space uh, for those deeper questions. So it might look like doing DIY together, going for a run. Uh, but within that time, uh, we're asking those deeper questions and, and creating that space for depth in the relationship. Yeah, I actually remember when a student messaged me once and asked if I could mentor her, but I'd, I had like only spoken to her once. And um, so I replied to say, I can't say yes to this, but I would love to hang out with you because I think that's where it's got to start. Like, come, come and have dinner and let's start there yeah. and then see where this goes kind of thing. It was yeah. too much, too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So linked to that kind of creating space for emotions is um, is being vulnerable. And I, th- I think that's probably what our B is, right? Yeah. Is like, <laughs> let's put that in the middle. We've already talked about being vulnerable yeah. is about being real, just being ourselves. But there is an element to which being vulnerable is about being honest about where we're at as well, like being able to share that and and making sure that the relationship isn't counselling. So it isn't just one-sided, but... Yeah. It's, it, it is a genuine relationship where you're both sharing um, mm. and both honest with each other. Yeah, 
so important, definitely. Okay, so A is um, active, uh, be actively intentional about spending time together. Uh, B is be vulnerable. Our C is create space for emotions. What else can we do? Yeah, so this is so important. Our next one is to think about taking digital Sabbaths. That's our D, digital Sabbaths. We are getting our identity from our digital world, from the messages we see, the adverts that are targeted at us, the likes or the comments that people give us or don't give us on our social media. Um, I mean, an example of the advertisements, if I was to Google how to get rid of my grey hair, um, I would be bombarded with adverts giving me images and advice for days to come after a simple Google search uh, that would be, you know, showing me why I need to dye my hair, why looking young is really important to my identity and how much more successful or happy I'll be. Um, and I'll be getting fed those images continually. And, and so what we're talking about here is not it, because that is not giving you the identity that God is giving you or that the Bible is giving you. So taking that digital Sabbath really is allowing those voices to be silenced for a time and for God to be able to be speaking truth into our lives. So, I mean, that could be anything from weight loss to building muscle to getting the latest tech or fashion or house improvements or a new car, all sorts of things. But it's, it's where we're getting those voices from. Um, but it's not just that, is it? It's also the fact that so often we are seeing the highlights of other people's lives. Um, and then those unhealthy comparisons start. Uh, start coming and uh, or the fact that we're sitting there waiting for a like or a comment on a post uh, uh, we start looking for our affirmation um, and acceptance from our digital world rather than from the God who created us and deeply loves us yeah I am so challenged by this one Susie because it like probably in lockdown I've probably used Instagram more than ever before mm. um and and for sure some of it is just silliness or whatever but there's also been some really good connections on there and particularly with people younger than me because that that is where where they're at and and like having a putting a story on might lead does lead to like some you know some interesting chats mm. in the private messages yeah. or whatever so I don't know the thought of having a whole day not on digital is quite scary for me yeah yeah I, I'm not necessarily saying it has to be a whole day but sounds like it might be useful <laughs> um but really what I'm talking about here is making sure that you are creating space away from devices to be present in relationships but also to make sure that it's God's voice that we're listening to that it's God's voice that is shaping us and not just the culture around us and actually, if we're honest about this, it's really subtle, isn't it? And it happens gradually and it starts with a good thing and good intentions and it looks uplifting and we're building one another up and we're developing connections. And that can be true uh, to a point, but the reality is we're still immersing ourselves in a world that is trying to steal our identity and the identity of people around us. And we can actually just be adding to that noise <laughs> or we can be absorbing it as well. 
um, or just getting distracted and wasting time. And, and it's easy to do that too, isn't it? And for Jewish people, a Sabbath meant taking a break from work and culture. It was a chance to reframe um, and be distinctive as followers of God. And this is what we're talking about here. It's about taking time away. A digital Sabbath is, is taking a break from the culture that we're constantly immersed in and just making sure we're getting our value from God and our identity from God. But also, it's really important if we want to grow these intergenerational relationships that we're talking about here, we've got to be 100% present with the people that we're with. Um, So it's developing habits like putting our phones out of reach <laughs> during mealtimes or when we're on our socially distanced walks. Or, and this is a real challenge to us. A few years ago, we, we got a, a, a basket for devices because we found it was taking over our, our time. And so we put that in practice and it's just got a bit to the wayside. So I think we'll, we'll reintroduce that one too. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so uh, actively intentional about relationships, be vulnerable, create space for emotions, digital Sabbath, which I know I need to do. Is there one more? What's our E? Our E E is experience mentoring relationships. It is so important that we realise the crucial role of mentors across the church, but also across our community. It's so important. We need to be providing that for people and we need to be seeking it out for ourselves spending time with people that we look up to and admire we need to realize how crucial these intergenerational relationships are yeah and that could be like a formal mentoring relationship couldn't it or it could be you know someone you hang out with but you see as a role model um it could it doesn't it could be just someone that you you've phone sometimes but don't speak to regularly um and it it also could be for specific specific things it could be that you think I really need help with some time management stuff and so you you have like a a few kind of meetups with someone to talk about just that specific thing there's like it doesn't it doesn't have to look like one thing there's a whole scope here of what this could look like yeah definitely yeah so we have gone through an a b c d e of steps to these authentic intergenerational relationships. And although we've slotted it into that, just to help sort of with remembering that, the reality is that God's heart for his church and for his people is to do this together, to, to walk this journey together. He's already working amongst us in these relationships. So we're just encouraging uh, that as a church family, we live out these values and, and really try and press into this even more. Yeah, and you know, even if you are the most resilient disciple and maybe you're really, really great at intergenerational relationships, that's cool, but we can all grow in this area because this isn't really about us. Like even if you've got loads and loads of relationships of different ages, there might be people around you that haven't that you could invite in or spend more time with. So there's just room for all of us to to be challenged and encouraged and to grow here. Absolutely. So we are going to take a minute now and just pause and think, who has God put around you? Who can you be developing this type of relationship with? 
how can you be intentional this week about developing these relationships? I'm just going to pray now as we think about that. God, would you bring people to mind as we pray now? God, would you highlight one thing for us to take away from our time together today and to put it into practice? Whether that be becoming more active and intentional in building friendships or being more vulnerable or creating space for emotions in the relationships we already have or taking digital Sabbaths or exploring mentoring, we pray that you would give us the courage to pursue and press into these intergenerational relationships here at G2. Amen.